you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at laist.com sweeps. Start your Saturday with something that will grow your kiddos' brains and get their creative juices flowing. Join us at LAS in Pasadena for a morning of multilingual readings, interactive performances, and lots of kid fun. It's Super Fun Saturday on June 1st. Get your tickets at LAS.com slash events. It's Film Week on LAist 89.3. I'm Larry Mantle. So good to have you with us. And I'm joined this week by critics Tim Cogshell of Alt Film Guide and Synagogues.com, Leo Lowenstein, and Charles Solomon, film critic for Animation Scoop and Animation Magazine. It's a really big week for films. At least on paper, a number of them look like they hold promise. We're going to find out whether they deliver. And we begin with The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. It's a prequel to The Hunger Games series, and we follow the uh, character of Coriolanus Snow years before he would become a tyrant. Uh, The film stars Tom Blythe, Rachel Zegler, Jason Schwartzman, Peter Dinklage, and more. Lael, what did you think of this Hunger Games prequel? So at two and a half hours, it is very long and sometimes unwieldy, but in the hands of director Francis Lawrence, who did three of the other four films in the series, I think fans will like it. It delivers mostly the high notes that you expect from a film of this sort. Um, It shows how Coriolanus could be turned from an innocent, wide-eyed, optimistic young young man who believes in the good of humanity to someone who becomes a dangerous authoritarian figure and eventually the evil leader of Pan Am. Um, It's generally well-acted. I thought Rachel Zegler as the the young songbird of interest and Blythe are, are very strong, but... Again, without Jennifer Lawrence, it's not quite the same thing. It doesn't have the charisma of a, of a, an actress like that. And um, you do have Violet Davis as a baddie. You also have Peter Dinklage, Jason, Jason Schwartzman, practically born to play the the kooky uh, narrator of the of the TV events and the Hunger, the Hunger Games as they are introduced. Um, it's it's successful in some ways but again over the top feels way too long and could have been broken up really realistically into probably two films oh no <laughs> no, not for you, Tim? No, 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 oh, no, no. <laughs> Why not? Don't, you just don't want to see any more. Mocking Jay, Tim, catching yeah, fire. Oh, my goodness, oh, my well, goodness. What do, you, what do you think? Look, um, so so uh, these movies. I, I've never liked these movies. Not um, even I, the even first one? Even with Jennifer Lawrence? I like Jennifer Lawrence in these movies. The theme of these movies I don't like. Uh, the very foundational notions in the book, the movies, whatever, were these children killing each other for these reasons. I had hoped to like this movie because I was hoping, because it's a prequel, that it will establish things in such a way that it will make all of those other movies, the very theme of the of the films themselves, more tolerable to me. I find all of this offensive, to be frank. Um, uh, and, but it didn't. It really, really didn't. And yeah, it's mostly about Coriolanus. I was asking Charles, I wonder how Shakespeare would feel about that. <laughs> about his, He's busy turning. <laughs> in his grave. Uh, uh, but 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 there it is. Um, at, it, this takes the the, the the Hunger Games have already been going on for ten years mm. when this takes place. 
Um, yet it's still 65 or so years before the Hunger Games that we know. And, and, and they do all kinds of really interesting things to suggest the past and the future. Um, the arena, I guess is what they call it. This mm-hmm. is, it's mostly just rubble. But those little platforms that they stand on in the, in the, in the very extravagant games, you know, they're just these little discs now in this mm-hmm. game. And I, and I like all of that uh, in, in the movie. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I think that there's a certain kind of person uh, who, when they consider what this is actually about, the things that we're actually watching, what's actually going on in this movie, these children set to killing each other for these reasons, conceived and, you know, and, and, and whatever they are. I don't know. But, but then again, I never message. liked Lord of the Flies either. I'm right. sorry. Like, no, I just, I think there is a message here and in Suzanne Collins' work that, you know, this is what, this is what can become of us in a, in an unchecked sort of situation where, you know, you t- put too much trust in your authority figures or you trust that, you know, people who are looking out for you say they have your best interests at heart, at heart and then, you know, look what, look what one thing can lead to another and before you know, kids are killing each other. There's and a context. The, There's a context, certainly. The result of that context, I do not buy. I do not buy it philosophically for one second. Mm. We're talking about The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, a prequel in The Hunger Games series Francis Lawrence directed. It's written by Michael Leslie and Michael Arndt, rated PG-13 in wide release. The animated musical Trolls Band Together, the latest entry in that series of films, Walt Dorn and Tim Heights are the directors. Elizabeth Tippett wrote the screenplay, Charles. This is the third installment in the Trolls franchise, so it's not surprising it has all the individuality and inspiration of a Big Mac. Uh, (laughs) Instead, we're getting backstory here, Mm. this time on the um, uh, Justin Timberlake character Branch, and he was once part of a boy band known as Brozone. They broke up when he was a little still in diapers or made to pose in diapers, look younger than he was. One of his brothers has been kidnapped by these fake singers who are somehow drawing his talent out when they're singing, although they sound nothing like him. And they have to reunite the brothers and go on the rescue and get a life lesson. And this very quickly reestablishes all the elements of the franchise now geared up with what the the latest uh, level of software can do. The dayglow garish colors with buckets full of glitter everywhere. The needle drop 80s and 90s soundtrack that's ramped up and pumped up and processed. And, oh, here's 10 seconds of sweet dreams are made of this. Here's 15 seconds of the hustle. Here's 10 seconds of staying alive. <laughs> All done to this kind of TikTok editing pace. There's a definite shape language in place. It's but ugly, but it's consistent. (laughs) And then you have the same characters again. Poppy never shuts up until you're ready to slap her. And Timberlake's character is the best acted and the best animated. But once it sets up all those things, it never stops. Mm. The adjective for this movie is relentless. <laughs> and mm. I came out of it feeling like I was crawling out of a rugby scrum. That's it brutal. And I'm so glad pauses. you didn't harm a troll as, as bad as you. We don't want any trolls But how are the here. songs? Um, are there any good songs? Oh, look, well, 70s, any number 70s, of them. 70s, 80s, and So 90s these are like the grandparents of uh, the kids uh, going to see the yeah, film. They do, they do Casey and the Sunshine Band, Keep It Coming Love. I think it's like 1976 or something like that if I'm not well, when was the hustle if that was, yeah, the oh, 70s as well this is the disco and, era and they're yeah. they're killing it. I'm I'm look 
first three minutes of this movie, there's a, 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 a poop, a pee, and a fart joke. <laughs> the kids in this room went bananas. <laughs> Every single one of them just could They were uncontrollable, mm. and it was kind of that way for the rest of the movie. Now, what Charles says is that this movie does not stop. For one second, there's not a moment of silence in this film. And I think that's on purpose. It moves fast. The, the sort of shapes and forms. So they do this thing, Charles, and maybe you can explain this to me. They do it well. There are, there are characters that are gigantic, big, big, big characters, tall. And then, of course, we have these tiny little trolls and everything in between. But somehow they, they, they make it feel like all of these disparate shapes and forms do and can live in the, these spaces, these animated spaces. What is going on there? How do they make that get, work? That's, that's designers coming up with a shape language and then applying it to all the members of the cast. So they had the trolls to begin with, and then they push some of those same shapes in kind of a Betty Boop direction for the tall characters who are all going to that weird nightclub, Mm. amusement park, rave thing uh, in the second half of the movie. So it's, again, design at work. It's very coherent. It's just ugly. And gentlemen, I so appreciate you took one for the team (laughs) on this. Thank you very much. Trolls Band Together, uh, Walt Dorn, Tim Eitzen, the directors, rated PG-13, the third of the Trolls franchise films in wide release. Next Goal Wins is co-written and directed by Taika Waititi, who I'll be talking with later this hour on Film Week. Uh, He, of course, did Jojo Rabbit, for which he won uh, the Best Adapted Screenplay Oscar. Uh, Next Goal Wins tells the story of the American Samoan soccer team as it's trying to qualify for the 2014 World Cup. And more than a decade prior to that, they'd suffered the worst loss in World Cup qualifying history, 31-0 or nil, as they say, to Australia. (laughs) Michael Fassbender stars as the coach brought in to write the national team ship. Elizabeth Moss plays his estranged wife and Oscar Keitley in the cast as well. Tim, what do you think of next goal wins. So this is interesting. There are many, many, many charming, charming, charming moments in this movie. And a lot, a lot of funny stuff. I happen to find Taika kind of a funny guy. He's in the film. Beginning uh, uh, and end. Yes. Doing all kinds of wacky things. And and I, I, I describe this as uh, Tat Lasso, uh, if Tat Lasso was an ass. <laughs> and you didn't like him. For a, for a big chunk of that series. Yeah, it's uh, kind of the anti It's the anti yeah. So this guy, uh, who Michael uh, is, is, is playing, uh, was, was, was a, 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 an He's eminent based on player. a real figure. We based see on him. a real yeah. figure. We see him in the film. The suggestion that he, that he wasn't that great <laughs> of a coach, and they send him off uh, to coach this team, this team full of these American Samoan players, not Samoa. <laughs> Not international Samoa. Different place. It's a different place, and it's a big deal, and they make you make sure you know so in this movie. And he has all these sort of interesting people who live in a very interesting way, a different way than, obviously, Australia, probably here in America, too, uh, and have a different way of approaching everything in life. And he has to adjust. There's all sorts of things that are going on, dramatic things. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to learn as we, as we work our way through this movie. Mostly, it's charming and funny. Uh, and yeah, 31 nil. That was hard. It's it's not as sort of wacky as some of the other YTD films, but some of his humor certainly gets yeah. in where he comments on on popular culture. Uh, Leo, what do you think of Next Goal Wins? Well, I was mixed on it. I thought there were very endearing moments and some really decent performances, chief among them by uh, someone named Kaimana, who plays... Jaya, who was uh, the, a, the first transgender 
soccer player to compete in a World Cup qualifying match. And I, I thought their performance was was excellent. Yeah, the actor is very good. Yes, yes. And there's there's uh, a lot of sort of tenderness with regard to that relationship and, and uh, how that sort of comes to play in the story. It does have a lot of underdog sports cliches. Now, of course, every underdog sports movie is going to hit on many of the same moments. I mean, it's just it just has to be whether it's Rudy or or Miracle or McFarland USA or whatever it is. There's Rocky. You know, there's there's all these beats that you kind of have to hit. Um, so I maybe got a little bit impatient sometimes knowing that they were coming and and feeling like I could anticipate a lot of those things. But for the most part, it's it's a very jovial, very upbeat film. Waititi has this sort of goofy way of of playing with time and place and your and sort of your visual and stylistic expectations. And I thought that was that was well done here. He's got he's a very whimsical director. So I thought it was mostly enjoyable. Next goal wins rated PG thirteen in wide release. Dream scenario, a film that has been out a week. Nicholas Cage, Julianne Nicholson, Michael Sarah star in the film, which is written and directed by Christopher Borgley. Uh, Tim, what did you think of Dream Scenario? I like this movie very much. I do. I do. Nick Cage is this ordinary, kind of hapless professor of insect behavior, mostly ants uh, in, in this film. His name is Paul, and it's the most ordinary and demure character that Nick Cage has ever played ever in his entire career, ever. <laughs> Forty years, this guy that he's playing. Uh, he has his young daughter, and his young daughter is the first, about 12 or 13, is the first one to see him in her dream. Uh, uh, in which he appears. The dream is not about him, uh, and he's not the subject of the dream of, at all, and, and he does nothing of consequence in this dream. And this event, this, this happening, starts to happen first in his community, across the country, across the world. People seeing Paul in their dream doing nothing of consequence. That nothing of consequence part starts to bug Paul. <laughs> he's like, I don't do anything. I don't do anything. And he, he, he decides that he, he wants to be consequential, at least in his real life. And he, and he starts to play into the celebrity that would come with appearing in people's dreams. And people don't seem to be very bothered by him in their dreams. He's almost sort of a you know, comforting figure in the dreams because they know he's not going to do anything until he does. <laughs> oh. And then we get this other movie. And then Nick Cage, as he does, turns it up to 11. <laughs> and it's just exquisite. And I, we always talk about, oh, Nick Cage is back. You know, Nick Cage has been back for like 20 years now. He had Pig and Willy's Wonderland, all, yeah. all of these movies over the last, you know, more than a decade. Now. Many good Many good movies, uh, good performances in movies. Even. So, yeah, this is very, very good, very interesting. Um, think about uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, or yeah. even better, being John Malkovich, neither of which nail the landing to my mind. This one nails the landing. Yeah, I'm a fan of both. I love both. I got a sea dream scenario. Again, starring Nicolas Cage, Julianne Nicholson, Michael Sarah, Christopher Borgley, the writer-director. It's rated R in select theaters. When we come back, Todd Haynes directing May-December, starring Natalie Portman, Julianne Moore, and Charles Melton. We'll find out about this film. Also, Leo and Saltburn from writer-director Emerald Fennell. That's all coming up on Film Week with our critics in just one minute. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. 
one lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at Elias.com slash sweeps. Start your Saturday with something that will grow your kiddos' brains and get their creative juices flowing. Join us at LAS for a morning of multilingual story times, interactive performances, art making, and lots of kid fun. Bring the whole fam and join us for a super fun Saturday at LAS in Pasadena on June 1st. Tickets at LAS.com slash events. See you there. It's Film Week on LAist 89.3. I'm Larry Mantle with critics Charles Solomon, Leah Lowenstein, and Tim Cogshell. Next up, director Todd Haynes' film, May, December. It's written by Sammy Birch. It's in select theaters before streaming on Netflix starting next month. Leo, what did you think of the latest from Haynes? I really thought this was excellent. It's uh, Haynes is, a, is such a such a gifted director. You know, so many of his films have dealt with uh, the issue of duality or appearance versus reality, whether it's Carol or whether the it's the, the Far From Heaven one that he did. Um, it's, it's just tremendous that he's so gifted in dealing with these sort of humans and our need to tell each other stories and to tell ourselves stories and the duality between what is real and what is not real, and the fact that we often convince ourselves of things that are real. So that just gets to the fact that this is about, this is sort of inspired by the Mary Kay Letourneau story of, I don't know, some 20-something years ago, in which an older woman, in this case she worked at a pet shop, uh, has an affair with a much younger male individual, a 13-year-old, and they consummate their relationship eventually uh, she gets fired, she gets divorced, she gets get ostr- socially ostracized, but they fall in love, they get married, they have kids, and so on and so forth. This takes place later. Natalie Portman is an actress who is playing uh, the the Julianne Moore character, and she has come to embed herself in their family and to do research on what it was like and why all these things happen. The fact that there is so much ambiguity in this about right and wrong and about that there, you know, emotion and its power to dominate over over rational thinking and all of that that is a thread throughout this film it's i thought it was just tremendously well done and it does sort of teeter on the verge of comedy at times but it is a dramatic film to my mind what about charles melton's performance oh as gosh. the husband thank you for asking larry because i thought he was excellent he starts out you think he's a little distant a little baby thick or a little just sort of resigned and then as the as the film moves along he is just tremendous he shows so many colors and nuances in his performance and he has just a wonderful scene with his son ready to whose son's ready to go to college um, on the roof of their house and they're just talking about you know whether he's saying I don't know if I'm creating bad memories for you or if this is actually something you're going to hold on to or if it's something you're going to resent mm. me for so it's just a wonderful performance I didn't have to ask good. you about Portman and Moore's performances because of course excellent. they're all yep. they're always good. They they Tim what do you I'm think not, of I'm, May December I'm going to talk about their performances here um, 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 uh, so Portman and more have to do this very interesting thing. So because, because this is not the Mary Kay Eternal story, it's shaped in this very particular way. So so uh, Julianne Moore creates this character that's uh, somewhat like that. Not Julianne Moore, but Natalie Portman is this actress. She's this, she's this person, right? But she has to create a character that's just like the character that Julianne Moore has created. So by the time we get to this to the end of this movie, they're both acting this character. And Portman, mm-hmm. this actress, is performing. 
but she's performing in this way that she's Julianne Moore. She has, but Julianne Moore isn't being Julianne Moore. She's being this. So this is just this brilliant wow. building and mm. layering of characters. And you know, it makes me wonder if 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 Portman and Julianne Moore had gotten together and say, okay, let's build this mm. person. We're going to build this person, and slowly over the course of this movie, this actress is observing me. And that's shown visually too, oh, with, with, with the, makeup the, the, and the thing that she does with her lip. Julianne Moore has this thing that she does with her lip. Mm. That Natalie Portman can do with her lip, yeah. and and it and it is it's it, it sends a, a chill through you, uh, Melton, a child who who whose whose development was arrested when he was thirteen years old, and he's thirty three years old now, and his development is still arrested, and that's the thing that's being explored here. Mm. He's only now uh, becoming a man, uh, thinking about. This sounds fascinating. It really, it really, it's cringy. Really good. It's that cringy. score, everything yeah. in that score is like in a, it's like in a flat. Key, like you know, like A flat minor, so just all just shocking. Well, is that a, like a send up of the TV movie of the week, Sean? There was there was a Mary Kay Laternal t- uh, TV movie of, of, back. I can't That's remember who was in that. That's even alluded to That's in the film that there was a, the that film. there had been previously okay. a TV movie. Very interesting. Yeah. yeah. May December from director Todd Haynes, screenplay from Sammy Birch. It's rated R. Again, it's in select theaters, but Netflix will start streaming it December first. Leo is an animated musical comedy featuring the voices of Adam Sandler, Bill Burr, Cecily Strong, Jason Alexander, and more, Robert Smigel, uh, Robert Marionetti, and David Wachtenheim are the directors of the film Charles. Well, this is cringy, but for a different reason. Uh, the only reason the first two Hotel Transylvania movies were as good as they are is they had Gendy Tartakovsky directing them who was a brilliant director. We don't have him on this, and so we're kind of back to eight crazy nights territory. Uh, Leo is a 74-year-old iguana who's been the mascot of a, I guess it's a sixth-grade classroom for decades, and somehow he and the tortoise he's with in the terrarium can talk. He gets taken home by the different kids, and he gets to give each one a life lesson that is a cliché-exemplified You know, try asking a question. Maybe you're insecure. Uh, The songs are simply drivel, and the result is just painfully bad. If there's something worse than Adam Sandler trying to be funny, it's Adam Sandler trying to be touching, uh, and he isn't, and cringing. (laughs) Leo, uh, the animated musical comedy, is rated PG, and next Tuesday it starts streaming on Netflix. Saltburn is from writer-director Emerald Fennell. Barry Keoghan stars in the film, along with Jacob Alordi and Rosamund Pike. Uh, it's about a, a Oxford University student who finds himself uh, getting into the world of um, aristocratic a character who's also there. They go to uh, the family estate Saltburn, and things happen. Tim, what do you think of the film? Uh, well, this is an interesting film, I, and, and, and I like it because I liked it every time I've seen it. Uh, yeah, I, I liked it in 1999 when it was called The Talented Mr. Ripley. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, That's uh, a and, terrific film. Yeah, yes. your, your Purple Isn't Noon in 1960. Isn't Brideshead Revisited? It's a, a little bit of that, a little bit, but also... <laughs> also an excellent... Uh, a, 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 touch of, a touch of Cruel Intentions in Valmont and Dangerous mm. Liaisons. And one of these, it was about the proletariat, about the, you know, the, 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 that powerful group, the aristocrats getting their comeuppance from the proletariat. Uh, Barry, Barry, Barry uh, is fantastic in this movie. He really is 
wonderful. Uh, but he is really the thing that the film has to offer. All that is going to happen in this movie, all that does happen in this movie, you really actually have seen before. Yes, all of these people who are funny uh, in, 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 in their ways in this mansion, Saltburn. She shoots in 133, which is interesting because this is such an elaborate um, uh, scale, this property, that you would think that she would, you, you would 235, something in scope, you know? But no, she, she compresses it all down very, very tight, and it makes everything very intense. She goes through these rooms. This is the blue room where the rallies are, and the, the, the Earl of this and the Duke of that, and, and all the of these tight, tight shots. Not that these people are not attractive people, you know. Uh, and and it's, it's so that one three three makes sense for me. It's very familiar, is all. It's good, but familiar. Salt burn, Lale. So I think that those films that you mentioned earlier, Tim all of them had a degree more kind of criticism, social criticism that was um, interesting than what goes on here in Saltburn. While I think the film is visually sumptuous and striking and, and Fennell does her thing with her trademark, bold, weird colors and palettes and and compositions and all of that, it, it doesn't feel like it has a lot of substance. And I don't really know why, but, you know, having seen and loved Promising Young Woman, which was a very strong and striking sort of Oscar almost nominated Oscar film. winning, I you're think, winning for screenplay. Was, yeah, yeah. You're right. um, revenge fantasy story. Uh, I kind of thought maybe this will be like that. I I do think there's some really sharp dialogue. Rosamund Pike in particular has some zingers of lines and uh, there's some. Decent performances, you know, all the way around. J- Jacob Elordi from Euphoria is excellent. Good Barry Lord, Keegan, he's, he's he is gorgeous. That's just ridiculous. Barry Keegan is always good as this sort of wounded, weird uh, outsider guy. Um, it almost reminded me of Killing of a Sacred Deer mm. in certain certain mm. ways. The other film that he was in, and of course, you know, Richard E. Grant. God, like he, like he was just you born for this film. Wrong. Yeah, never go yeah, wrong. Never go wrong. But yeah. the, but somehow the film just left me wanting more like more substance or more more criticism more, more something uh, beautiful to look at weird didn't leave me feeling much of anything salt burn from writer director emerald Fennell is rated r it's in select amc theaters and then it goes into wider release starting next wednesday the documentary the disappearance of share height uh, looks back on the tremendous influence of her book the height report which was published in 19 19- 1976 and really got the country talking about women's sexuality. Now, the scholarship in the Height Report was much criticized. I had an opportunity of interviewing her after the publication of that book a, a number of years later, but her impact was significant. This documentary attempts to get at that. Nicole Newham, uh, Newham excuse me, is the director of The Disappearance of Cher Height. Lael, what do you think? To my mind, The Disappearance of Cher Height is one of the best documentaries of the year. It is a a very well-researched, well-documented story that's frankly quite a tragedy in parts. So, you know, she was a beautiful, striking woman with this kind of cascading head of pre-Raphaelite curls, red hair, beautiful red hair. She also worked as a model sometimes, but she went to school to study um, social sciences and then eventually 
sexology. She became a sexologist and wrote, researched and wrote the Height Report. And her methodology, as you said, Larry, was uh, much criticized in that she didn't have a very wide sampling. She didn't have as many ways of reaching her, her subjects, perhaps, back then. But what she wrote was significant in terms of following up, building on Masters and Johnson and Kinsey and all of that, but also adding her own um, discoveries about women and sexuality. Later on, she went to, to she went on to write um, male sex a book about men and love as well as women and love. And it was the really the men and love book that I think became highly criticized, and particularly by men. And in this film, you see her getting ambushed on camera in certain interviews by you know Maury Povich, by other other journalists, and by a group of men who become so incensed at her trying to tell them what men might think about masculinity and their reluctance to talk about it, that it is highly ironic. So in the end, it's very sad because she becomes almost a victim of the uh, ideology that she is writing about, and it it's perpetuated in any case. So, you know, I, I thought it was very, very well done. Very interesting story that taught me a lot. Uh, we're talking about the disappearance of Cher Height, the documentary. Uh, Tim, what did you think? Uh, an, an extraordinary uh, moment in the culture. The film is very good. It's very strong, this film, because it captures most of this, mostly because there's a great deal of footage of Cher Height uh, uh, from many, many years before. Uh, some of it owing to some of the professions that she was, she was a model. She was ridiculously beautiful, this woman. Um, uh, uh, and uh, and she had a master's degree from the University of Florida. Her name was Shirley. She was from St. Joseph's, Missouri. But at, at the time, we all thought that she was an immigrant, perhaps from Germany or someplace like that. She had this very particular accent. She was born in St. Joe. Um, uh, uh, and, and she did all of this extraordinary work, mid-70s and, and, and early, in early 80s. Um, it was a moment in the culture that men in the culture were not ready for. The problem was men. Uh, I, I think I actually saw her when she was on Oprah. There, are, uh, she's on Oprah and on. Oh, I think she's on Geraldo. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if I saw it when she was on Geraldo. Geraldo kind of, kind of, kind of sandbagged her a little bit. Oprah was protective of her, but she let the men have their way in terms of. She was the only woman there when yeah. she was on. She's she the, had oh, an audience, nothing but men, solely composed of men, and you know, so that wow. that was part of the issue there. Yeah, yeah, and that was after her book on men, men's yeah, sexuality, yeah. that men really took offense to. Um, I, you know, I was a very, very, very young man at that time. I didn't take offense to any of that, and I thought that uh, Dr. Ruth would come along a little bit after her, and Dr. Ruth would be much, much more pointed about mm -hmm. all of this than she yeah, and I did. Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, Dr. Ruth got away with stuff that no one before her had <laughs> yeah. Dr. Ruth with. called herself a sex therapist, I think, really, and a sex, sex expert, but Whereas Cher Height was, you know, a researcher. She was and beautiful, and I think, and I think that, that was I think the that problem. was part of the problem was the way she looked. And well, plus, I think doc, that's, Dr. Ruth, she was discredited because of that. I think Dr. Ruth had the, just the force of personality. Yeah, this yeah. little old lady who's just talking so blunt. Like, yeah, yeah, talking like it's, a bathroom. That's part graffiti. of the appeal. <laughs> uh, the disappearance of Cher Height. The documentary's rated R. It's at AMC Burbank 16, and based on what you're both saying, this should be in more theaters. Mm -hmm. So uh, hopefully, people will go out and and see the film. We have a music documentary this week: The Stones and Brian Jones. Uh, Leo, can you give us a, a quick take on this film? Right. So I did not realize that Brian's 
Brian Jones was the co-founder of the of the Rolling Stones, and he was sort of the creative genius of the band. He didn't write the songs; Mick and Keith did, but he was had a lot of the creative flourishes. What's really cool about this documentary is that there are interviews with Bill Wyman, with other musicians who talk about the what what kind of uh, contribution Jones made creatively to the group, and I hadn't really been aware of that before. Jones, of course, died tragically. He drowned in a swimming pool in 1969. There were already some issues and some ruptures within the band, and he had sort of to, they started to branch away from him. But it sort of became the struggle for control between whether it was going to be Brian's band or Mick and Keith's band, and that's where the trouble started. He also was a prolific, uh, shall we say, adulterer. He 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 wasn't married though, but he he had many. <laughs> Children out of wedlock, many, many. Uh, so there you go. The Stones and Brian Jones is streaming on Apple TV Plus, but you can see it in the theater at Lemley's Monica Film Center. It's unrated. Uh, and um, Tim, can you give us twenty seconds on a still small voice? The documentary, a, a very powerful film about a profession that we don't think much about. The the folks who handle hospice care and things like that. Chaplains. When I think of chaplains, I think of Dr. McKay and Mash. This follows a young woman as she does her residency as a chaplain, mostly through COVID and, and, uh, and, and what she has to learn about oh caring. My goodness. It's a beautiful, beautiful oh, film. Oh, that. A still small voice, the documentary at the Limley Royal in West Los Angeles. Luke Lawrenson is the director of the unrated film. Coming up on Film Week, I'll be talking with writer and director Taika Waititi. We'll speak with him about Next Goal Wins, his film, which he adapted from a documentary, the two uh, a thousand, what was it, uh, 14 documentary that was done about the American Samoan soccer team. It's all coming up in just 90 seconds. Alias has a new live event series with the James Beard Foundation. We Are Where We Eat will go behind the scenes of some of your favorite LA restaurants to find out how and why they do what they do. I'm Austin Cross. Join me for the first event where we'll explore how restaurants help make a neighborhood and we'll all have something delicious to eat afterwards. It's May 22nd at the Crawford. Get your tickets now at LAS.com events. <laughs> 